0: This is Michael, host of the political podcast, KUKA for Politics. I am so passionate about politics, hence the name KUKA for Politics, and I hope you are too. Thanks for joining. This is a podcast discussion on political perspectives on various issues that matter with citizens of the world. So I do ask that you grab your favorite libations, whether it be coffee, tea, water, juice, beer, wine, or a spirit or two, and let's get ready for some lively conversation and let's learn something together. Well, it's coming down to the wire as this country enters its final stretch of the midterm campaign season. Once again, politics is at the forefront of every voter's mind. In case some of you do not recall what was covered in part one of this midterm podcast series, I'll give you a quick recap and why this election is so important. Now, the phrase midterm election is in reference to a specific election cycle that is held every two years or midpoint of a president's four-year term the two chambers in congress are currently under the control of the democratic party slim but still under the control of the democratic party the house of representatives has a total of 435 members in which 224 democrats and 213 are republicans now this body of legislators are elected every two years the Senate chamber consisting of 100 members are elected in a staggered six-year term and are currently evenly split 50-50 between Republicans and Democrats. Now, the Democrats has a slight edge in that Senate chamber due to the fact that Vice President Kamala Harris, a Democrat, has is also has a role of president of the Senate, has the tie-breaking vote. Now, If the majority of the American electorate approve of both the president's and Congress legislative agenda thus far, then perhaps more members of the president's party will be elected. If not, more members of the opposition political party, Republicans, will gain more seats in Congress, shifting the balance of power. Now, if you're wondering, aren't these elections every November for different elected positions? My answer to you is correct. However, odd number years, such as 2019, 2021 are considered off year elections. Elections that take place during such times are more localized, such as citizens voting for like city council, mayors, school boards, state legislators, sheriffs, few congressional and or governor races. Now don't get me wrong. Those elections will have an impact, but more on the local level and somewhat on the national level, but it is not significant enough as in this current midterm election, which takes place in an even-numbered year, 2022. This election cycle will have more of a significant impact on what the President Biden and his party will be able to do or not do in his remaining two years of his presidency. So here's what's at stake. 435 congressional seats, 35 Senate seats in the Senate chamber, 36 governorships, numerous chief election officials, state legislators, along with other local offices that are on a ballot on November 8th. That's a lot of seats up for this major election. That's why this election, like all elections is about one word power. Whichever party has a power can influence the political landscape of the country. Now, historically, the party that holds the White House loses seats in the midterms, as Americans have tend to vote for divided government. So the political stakes are very high, especially to a president who has started but is determined to fulfill his campaign promise on the theme of Build Back Better. Joining me in this episode is my continuing conversation with longtime residents of Arizona, Jeffrey and Elizabeth Gordon, two fellow alums from Eastern Nazarene College and like this host, majored in history and are avid political junkies. First off, Elizabeth is the Assistant Director of International Instructional Design for Innovation and Emerging Initiatives in the Ed Plus at Arizona State University. In addition, she has over 14 years of experience teaching history at Mesa Community College. As a certified project management professional, she holds a master's degree in history from Arizona State University and multiple instructional design certifications. Her husband, Jeffrey, is an emergency responder for over 26 years as a firefighter and paramedic for the Mesa Fire Medical Department. Within that department, he holds specializations in aircraft rescue, airport rescue firefighting, a hazardous materials technician, and is a certified fire instructor. Jeffrey has a master's of science degree in emergency management and executive fire service leadership from Grand Canyon University, and associate's degree in fire science from Rio Salado Community College. They have been married for over 27 years and have three sons, Devin, miles and julian i invited this arizona couple as they're not only very active in their communities but are willing to share their political perspectives ladies and gentlemen welcome to another episode of kooka for politics let's get ready for some lively discussion while learning something together welcome back you two and thank you for joining in this episode of kooka for politics speaking with arizona voters regarding the midterm elections, part two, I guess. Hey, let's get let's go directly into it. Now, we are aware that the cost of inflation is worldwide and is affecting everyone. Every country is still adjusting to the negative effects of the two-year pandemic shelter-in-place measures, which has impacted labor and supply chain shortages. Not to mention other current geopolitical events that too are causing a rise in goods and services. No matter where you are, people are concerned about the rise in fuel and the rise in food and other services. Do you think candidates running in Arizona or elsewhere for that matter, are making proposals to address these inflation issues? Once again, anyone could address that topic. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> me, oh the mass silence go
2: ahead no, let, yeah, let me answer that. Uh, yeah absolutely i mean <laughs> absolutely um we have candidates who one are not very good politicians that's you know they they, they, they have we've created a, a a pool of candidates for the last you know three or four cycles that you know being a politician and legislating is not on the agenda anymore. We have a politician out in Georgia uh, who's just getting, a, who recently said she was getting a divorce, and you know, and says that she's a Christian nationalist, and she is not there to, you know, propose legislation. She is there as purely. Marjorie Taylor is there just to to be strident and to just you know be a Twitter. You know to get on Twitter, even though she's been kicked off of Twitter did she get- t- kicked off of twitter?
0: I think they all did, no, and I think that's one of they- the re- reasons why one of your candidates is running to uh displace the um st- i think to break up the tech companies because yeah,
2: break he f- up the tech companies right yeah, And so yeah. when you when you when you when you engage people and you say look um <laughs> uh, we've we're coming out we we just had the worst global pandemic um uh, over the last 100 years, and we're just now coming out. And it doesn't just affect us, the United States. It's affected. It has affected the entire world. It has affected our uh, supply chains. It has affected every aspect of our society, from close by people who are in small, you know, small town USA to big urban centers uh, to places in our in our manufacturing areas in China. Uh, Tokyo, you know, all throughout the world, and so we've had these inflationary. And here's the thing: what's so, what, what is so interesting is when you have, when you sit down and you talk to people about inflation and cost of, the cost of living has gone up. You just, you know, you look at it and you go, "Wow, everything is is more expensive." There's just no way around that. But then you say, "But it is also expensive everywhere." And unless, unless President Biden is Emperor Biden and he was able to give a stimulus to Singapore and all these in England and all of these places across the world, it's really hard to blame, just blame president Biden on inflation without looking at the other factors that is causing, you know, our inflationary pressure. Um, Well,
0: one of the, one of the things that, um, an episode that i did with ron and cut with sam we talk about that people in their local town wherever they are they don't they are looking at the cost of goods and services in their town they do not care what happens across the border they're not concerned what's happening that geopolitical events affects them they don't care what's happening in france they don't care what's happening in australia they care about their local town. So when they go and get goods and groceries and so forth, they just see that they leave the supermarket with a big bill, but with less produce in their cart. And I get it. I I feel it. I Mm -hmm. feel it. But luckily, you know, again, in my travels, I see the exact same thing. So I know it's what you're saying earlier. It's because Biden is the president of the United States It's not because of him specifically that the cost of goods and services are high. It's just, like you said, transitioning from the pandemic. And you're also seeing people who did not return to work at their previous job. And we still have other markets overseas that are still closed. A hot button issue, too. And I know we talked about it earlier about immigration. And we're going as far as it's a racist policies that these the governor is doing, as well as um, other Republican um, governors, as well.
2: And may I add? May I add to that? Not only racist, but it lacks compassion.
0: Yeah, it yeah. Really no.
2: lacks compassion. So, but go ahead. Sorry.
0: Do, do, no, but you know, interesting. I remember. I'm like, wow. You're saying lack of compassion. If you recall, George W. Bush's theme: compassionate conservatism. conservatism. Do you remember that? He was from oh, yeah. Texas. Oh. They
1: up oh. the whole first part. <laughs> they sure
0: <laughs> did, because I remember, and, and here's the thing about the immigration. If it, Bush, who was from Texas, who knew the problem firsthand as governor, and then as a two-term president, he could not control or solve the border issue. And his successor, Obama, and after that, Trump, no one could The the whole immigration issue is such—it's not a one-size-fits-all. And I I wish the governors, if they want to share the burden, those Republican governors I mentioned, Ducey, um, Abbott, and um, uh, DeSantis, if they want to share the burden— I understand where they're coming from, and Flo is a different story because it's it's surrounded by water. So him kidnapping from Texas, but again, we talked about that before. <laughs> they should really look at it from a whole.
1: Well, and you know, you mentioned earlier about the the shame of not um, learning from history. Um, immigration has always been a combination of push and pull. Um, you know, you, it's very clear. There's the things that are pushing people out of their country: war and famine and chaos and you know crime and you name it Uh, but there's also the pull of we our economy is based on immigrant labor it always has been and it always will be if we didn't need immigrant labor they would stop coming except you know except for the refugees they would stop coming so the folks who are coming here Um, our opportunities, and we need them. And, uh, you know, there's uh, construction companies, landscaping companies, um, you know, domestic workers, um, all of these kinds of unskilled labor jobs. Um, I've talked to quite a few contractors who work in those sphere, and they're like, I can't get people to come and work for me. And, you know, if I am really careful on paperwork, I can't fill the jobs and I never have enough workers. And, and so sometimes I just no, don't look closely.
0: <laughs> no, you're, you're right. And Elizabeth, it's interesting. You know how um, early this summer, um, the UK, United Kingdom, they had a big issue with luggage. People were not getting their luggage. Yep. And you're wondering why. And again, it goes back to the supply chain issue. The thing is, we there's a segment of our economy that relies on foreign workers. And I bring up the UK because I read an article in, a—I uh, believe it's The Guardian or The Economist. I'm not sure one of the two. But it said one of the reasons why so much luggage are in the baggage claim area is because of Brexit. You had certain workers from different parts of Europe that came to work, but when they had to be forced to leave, it's not to say the British citizens were not doing that type of work, but there was not too many to fulfill the need and the demand of that work. You follow?
2: Oh, yes. So uh,
0: so you're right about that. Again, the reason why things are slowed down, because if you block, I mean, prevent certain people from coming in, again, I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in plucking chicken feathers. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, and, and that, that's a beautiful segue into you know we have an, we have you know if we have a agricultural sector in the United States that need people that need people seasonally to help grab, gather crop. That, that's just you know they know when they they come they they're here and they need you know it's hard backbreaking work and generally speaking that is our immigrant communities that come and do that work. Um, even those in, you know who may hold some of the most you know conservative or right-wing you know positions as a farmer recognize but the people that come and, and, and take care of his farm and get you know the crops off his field and into you know in, into the vans and off to market are the immigrants. And so there's a conflict there between our, biz, our business needs and the needs of our economy and some of these cultural and social identity issues of, well, they need to come this way and they need to do it this way and they, 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 we need that and we need this. And it's like, you know, this is something that we've had at immigration and in terms of how we receive immigrants and how we have been, you know, we have such acrimony against our immigrants has have been going... For going on from the beginning of our, you know, from the Republic. You know, when the Irish came during the British, when the Irish came here during the, you know, potato famine the first time, they hated the Irish. When the Irish came the second time, they hated the Irish. They hated the Italians. They hated the Asians when they came and built the railroads. They hated them so much that they created an anti-Asian exclusion act, you know, in 1920 something to prevent Asians from coming into the United States. And so we've always had a third where, uh, a third rail, if you will, um, you, on...
0: You, you know, you're absolutely right. But <laughs> the funny thing is we rely on those services that they provide. And not to demean um, the trade that they do, it's just vital because each person... Contributes something to society, and everyone has their skill and talent that is that is um, relied upon. And to say we could do it, I, I, no one's here without the other person. Now, throughout America's origins, it has had a difficult time dealing with issues of race. That's no, that's a no-brainer. Political leaders have exasperated this issue of race relations for decades to further divide the American people for their own selfish advantages. As representatives of one aspect of America's modern family, insofar as being a mixed couple and producing three handsome biracial children, what are your feelings or thoughts regarding Arizona Republican senatorial candidate, Blake Masters, who is proposing that schools no longer teach critical race theory, but rather ultra-right revisionist history, Basically whitewashing every aspect of historical events that took place in the country. All right. I see. I love that when you, you sigh, Elizabeth. That means you're thinking you don't know what words to say if you should curse or not curse. Yeah, to
1: curse or not curse on, on on Michael's nice podcast. Um here's the thing. Um uh, we just we just graduated two boys from a local high school, and um, they were mm. um, thankfully their their high school became more diverse than it was when their brother went to the same high school nine years earlier. Um, but there were definitely been issues, um, and it, being a high school a minority high school student in a predominantly white neighborhood um, in the Trump years Mm. definitely had its moments. Mm. Um, now having said that, um, I will say, um, we are blessed and fortunate, uh, that none of the things they ever experienced were violent. Um, you know, they were never physically harmed. Um, and even, I I don't think there was even anything destructive per se. Um, But microaggressions, um, definitely the rhetoric, the same rhetoric from the Trump campaign filtered down to high school students who have uh, much less impulse control than um, adults. And when the adults around you aren't even showing any impulse control on being hateful and racist, um, how can you really expect teenagers to do any better? Um, So, yeah.
2: story. True
1: story. You know, race relations. Um, I wouldn't call us, you know, bleeding Kansas or burning Mississippi, or by any stretch of the imagination. But there are historical um, problems, um, you know, going way back here in Arizona. Um, predominantly Native American and Hispanic um, would be the, the the top ones. But even the African American population, as small as it was for years has some longstanding issues um, in Arizona. And I, I, I wouldn't say it's better. Um, I actually recently um, had this conversation with a, uh, someone back East who was like, well, you know, you don't have those problems there. And I'm like, no, honey, honey, they happen everywhere. Um, You know, and it's not, it's not confined to those urban centers. It's not, you know, confined to, you know, Oh, the LA, the Chicago, all those big metropolitan areas where you expect all the, hotbeds quote unquote of all the evil racist stuff it's it's everywhere
0: yeah i um, mean if you, if so, we were to think about um the aftermath of the george floyd i mean that ricocheted the entire nation no matter where you were from it was not in the urban settings it was in rural counties urban i mean it's everywhere but not, not to digress for that question that person says you don't have that issue I'm like no that's an issue everywhere
2: Everywhere. Everywhere. I mean, that was George Floyd was the largest gathering of, you know, civil rights, interracial, intergenerational protests that I had ever seen in my life. Um, And I think that I think people. I mean, when you think about the magnitude of what happened with with George Floyd and then the subsequent uh, protests, uh, that was a fully integrated, interracial, intergenerational. Uh, protest, and we had never seen that before. One of the things that you know we really, you know, some you know the history majors kind of sit down and talk about is, you know, when we talk about this democracy, in a lot of ways, what we're also talking about is a multiracial democracy. We've never had a multiracial democracy. The last time we had a multiracial democracy of any form um, was shortly after the, uh, the the Civil War and when Reconstruction ended and then we ended up having you know uh, 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 what do you call it, babe? Redemption? Not redemption when you had um, sh- when you had uh, the, the color line. Mm. Oh, red
0: line. Se- Red no. line? Segregation. Segregation.
1: Segregation. Oh, okay. Segregation. okay. It, Segregation. It's getting late. It's getting late. We'll 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 give
2: grace to your poor brain. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Segregation. So, <laughs> we we've 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 always we've never had a multiracial America. And that I think is what is one of the You know, one of the touch points of where we're seeing such an extraordinary backlash and we're having so many issues because they're seeing more people to the table. And instead of seeing more people to the table, a lot of our you know fellow brothers and citizens in the United States are saying, well, no, what's not – people are not – more people are not being brought to the table. What's happening is my seat is being removed from the table. And that's not what's happening, but that's how they see it. They, they see it as, wait, wait, hold on here. My powers being, you know, is being uh, diluted. My power is being removed. I don't get a chance. I should be able to get a chance to say whether or not you and you and you participate in democracy. And once upon a time, that's the way it used to be, but that's not the way it is anymore not the way it looks like it's moving and we have a strong force in the United States that say no that's no 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 that's the way we want it to be and they're well, getting more bold about it
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I do I do concur with what you're saying Jeff um and I remember I recall this weekend when I went canvassing with you know trying to knock on doors and letting people know don't forget to vote register and you know all the about four a candidate. Well, um, this older man, as we're talking from home to home, he says to me, um, the biggest fear is his generation. I said, what does that mean? He said, because of, and this is where it hints off with the George Floyd, because what we saw was that two to three years ago, when you looked on news media print, you turn on your television, you saw a diverse crowd of various uh, cultures and um, mm-hmm. age groups protesting say my, say their names that's mm-hmm. what scares as he would say his generation yep. that is to me and it, it was a profound statement and he was acknowledging and again he was just saying those are the people who are tend to be the base that are that are attracted to the MAGA um wing of the republican base not to say democrats don't have them too but the fact is they are saying we don't want those people in and we're they're not include i mean just the absurdity of certain things the rhetoric that they say but that's why they're coming up with critical race theory and um it's like a, a, a taboo but they know that unity that they see amongst all people is um is a threat threat is a threat is a
2: a clear and present danger and with respect to critical race theory this is you know i gotta be honest i I think elizabeth and i are really uh savvy and well you know well read with respect to uh race class gender you know um and even faith you know because of how we were raised and we didn't we didn't know anything about. Did you? Did you know anything about critical race theory, honey? Nope. <laughs> I, I gotta thank my I gotta thank my 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 reactionary Republican friends for like what are they talking about? And that when you when you step back and and go, what is this whole you know reactionary race theory, uh, critical race theory thing is? You know, and it basically comes down to we have a a, a group of of. of, of of uh, citizens who do not know how to talk about race and don't want to talk about race. I mean, critical (laughs) critical race theory is a legal concept, but what they have done is that they have conflated talking about our history, which is literally talking about, you know, all aspects of America. And they're saying, well, we don't want to talk about that part. (laughs)
0: <laughs> we don't want to you, you <laughs> know Everything you know what's put, funny Jeff Elizabeth you were saying that you never even heard of it and I, uh Trevor Noah he's, you know the comedian yeah. he says oh, yeah. yo he's like yo thanks to Trump i'm learning about things i never knew could happen before or there was existence he talked about <laughs> that uh, critical race theory he says and he also talked about I never knew there was something called a special master to look over documents. I mean, really, we we the the former president is Thank him you. and his people are like pushing the envelope and then we're learning, I didn't know that that was a, actually a real thing. That
2: was a that's a thing. Real thing. I it's that's just that like a thing. I mean, here's Elizabeth with a masters uh, in history. I have a masters in emergency management and we're well read, well, you know, uh and we really jump in because you know we're an inter- we are an interracial family we have mm-hmm. our children are biracial we live in a white space it's like it's not like i'm gonna go go ahead and try to pretend i don't know what's up <laughs> Yeah, ex- <laughs>
0: yeah ex- exactly and i don't like, remember even in my schooling we had that um at uh higher learning when i got one of my masters it just it, it wasn't a subject matter that came up um it was something in a background but we didn't it was basically to help to understand why laws are laws and why society is society in that way. Right. But here's here's another hot topic. All right, and
2: throw it at us. I think that
0: no, it's um, student loan forgiveness. Is that an issue?
1: Sure, absolutely needs to happen. Let's make it happen tomorrow.
0: There you go. I'm all I'm all, I'm all <laughs> I mean, with you. All right, I'm all with you. Solved. That was quick. <laughs> that was quick, and I agree.
2: I mean, from every from every area. I mean, from a Christian perspective, from a Uh, From an economics perspective, you know, it's—I mean—you want to take care of the people, especially who've had Pell grants, who are the most of need. You know, let's get this—you know, let's make this happen. Apparently, a lot of our brothers and sisters in Christianity has never heard of Jubilee, and has never heard of the year where we forgive debts, because (laughs) it's remarkable to me. I get some of my brothers and sisters who are who, who 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 are not within the faith.
0: Now, America has subsidized, paid, or financially forgiven various debts to industries, businesses, and persons from certain segments of society over the years. Because why? Life happens. But somehow, the federal government's proposal to student debt forgiveness has somehow become controversial. Isn't that ironic?
2: It's really no different than, you know, who's getting that aid? You know, uh, we were when when Trump said that we were going to raise tariffs on China, you know, about three years ago, he raised the tariffs on China. And so what did China do? China raised their prices. They were like, we're not going to eat that. And all of the farmers were like, well, we're going to get crushed about that. And Trump just basically said, don't you worry about that. Fifteen billion dollars. Here you go. Farmers got fifteen billion dollars because of actions of the United States that harmed their business and harmed their financial bottom line. So they got uh, what do you want to call it? Restitution. They got they they received welfare. Uh, well, they, they, um, I'm actually going for a more. I'm actually going for a more controversial term I'm hoping you're gonna you're, you're gonna oh, see where I'm going with this.
0: You're talking about, <laughs> um, and you, this is what we reparations.
2: They, 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 <laughs> they received uh, due to a government act against a foreign nation. Their business and their bottom line was harmed. the the The, the government decided that they would not bear the harm. They won't bear any of that harm and the, And thus, the federal government paid them. They still pay them to this day. Actually, no, I take that back. They do not pay them because um, I think Biden started to reduce some of the um, some of the tariffs um quietly. But they still get a certain level of payments based on whatever tariffs tariffs are left against Chinese goods. And it's like, how come no one is saying anything those same farmers we actually pay those farmers now we talk so much about you know the 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 free the the, the the free market the free market must dictate the free market must dictate no you know federal government interference but yet since the 1950s the government's telling farmers you can't we're going to pay you not to plant that so we've been not- subsidizing corn for decades <laughs> We've been and oil and World the fuel industry.
0: And, uh, yes, I mean.
2: so so it, 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 again, you know, it comes back down to you know when we need to have a a uh, an honest conversation with each other as citizens, a good faith conversation about what's happening and who's doing what and what and, and trying to come together to make our you know to make us a a, a you know a more perfect union. And it's going to require us to come together because at the end of the day, just like Mike said, when something happens and catastrophe happens, you are going to want help. You know, there, you know, in the middle of being on the front lines at COVID, there were a lot of people that did not want to get vaccinated, did not want to get, wear masks. But let me tell you, nope, not many people stayed home once their S- SPO2s hit under eighty. They called. And let and me what's tell you
0: they their
2: oxygen their oxygenation oh, levels. Once their gotcha. oxygenation levels got to a point where they felt too uncomfortable, whatever position they had on COVID. Whatever position they had with respect to I'm too weak, you're too weak, you're a sheep, you know, I, th- this is just being blown out of proportion because they want to attack the president, none of that happened. What, what, what was important was to call 911 and get to a place to get medications that they've never heard of and may have been even experimental to save their lives. <laughs> the whole conversation with, well, I don't want to put that in my body. I don't know what that is. It came too fast. It's experimental. We don't know what it, you know, it could be poison in my body. When it came to something um, emergent to them, they, people take a different path. And I, it, it,
1: there's, a, there's a really nice phrase for it. Um, It it may be a little uh, inflammatory, but honestly, when people are accepting aid or they know someone who's accepting aid, it's because, well, they're one of the good ones. And it's like, but, but those people who are getting aid and that other kind of aid, they're not one of the good ones. And it's like, you know, folks, if, if in, in so many ways, if you were on the Island from Lord of the Flies, you a hundred percent would have killed that little piggy boy. You know? It's like really, you would not have been one of those supportive, cooperative, loving, great, you know, kind of people who would, you know, survive the island. You would have massacred each other. And it's sad to see it. It's it's vicious. It goes back to you know the term we used earlier. It's cruel. Um, and when you see that cruelty in folks who profess faith as their their guiding principles for their life, it's mm-hmm. astounding to me, uh, just astounding.
0: It seems candidates are only talking about culture wars and inflation without proposing real solutions. Arizona is on a path of continued growth in population, and as a result, it may not be able to handle such an increase due to the part of the low water levels in the state's shared water reservoir systems. Now, are candidates talking about such grave concerns or possible solutions to such issues like infrastructure?
1: You know, I don't know that I've heard any of them bring it up.
2: No, they haven't really brought that up. Right now, we are in the midst of the culture war. So right Mm -hmm. now, when you hear... Um, our Republican candidates speak, they're really speaking to their base and it's really fear-based. We're really, really talking about... um, you know they will use these very trigger words. They're too liberal. She's a Democrat, and she's you know, and she's going to let crime come in. And the border needs to be secure. And you know, critical race theory. They'll bring up critical race theory as a issue of parental freedom. You know, not allowing you know, give enough parental freedom. So there's not uh, enough issues. They they have not really drilled down on our water issue, which is a huge issue because we're planning, you know, the, the Phoenix Metro area is planning a, a huge growth in the next 30, 40 years, you know, for the next 25 years, our first 25 years, we were like, wow, this, I mean, the, the amount of growth that this place has taken in the 27 years that we've been here has been extraordinary. And so you,
0: you you hit a point there. So I'm going to ask this for other um, residents of different towns. To me, I feel like a major concern that Arizona local officials should be talking about is your water resources. But I believe it seems like the culture wars, as you said, Jeff, is a distraction. Mm-hmm. And I think about Texas, where I remember, was it? I think one or two winters ago, the electric grid stopped running in the middle of winter, and most people were cold. They didn't have, they couldn't flush their toilets, they couldn't turn on AC or heat up their home, the basics. Yet, Governor Abbott is only talking about mostly about immigration, again, another distraction Mm -hmm. away from solving that problem. I think about Florida, the same thing is a distraction with using immigrants, again, without the funding that's necessary to secure their own land because of the hurricanes. And then the money that they use to privatize that plane to go elsewhere... That money could have been used for their own infrastructure. And this is where I'm going to be asking because the major issues, I get it that it's crime. I get it it's inflation. And I get the cost of living of all these. It makes it makes sense. But no one's really talking about how to solve it and how to address it. And they use these divisive words to separate us once again. And you said for yourself, you can't recall a candidate talking about which is a major issue especially if there's a population growth coming into arizona
1: oh yeah it's it's but it's not sexy i mean infrastructure is not sexy (laughs) it isn't no because the solution the solutions aren't going to be easy um in the solution for infrastructure is almost always going to be some kind of a tax so that you can rebuild the infrastructure or, or increase the that. infrastructure. The, the solution to the water problem is, hey, guess what? Nobody gets to have lawns. Um, you need to have either rocks or fake grass because we can't be spending money on lawns. Hey, uh, golf courses. You can't have greens everywhere. You get to have a little patch of green at the tee, a little patch of the green uh, at the end. But all the rest of that needs to be fake. Like literally you just, these aren't easy answers and they're not popular answers. And so nobody wants to talk about it because it's not sexy. It's not, it's not going to drag people into the polls. It's not going to get them to open up their wallets and make contributions to political campaigns because nobody wants, I mean, it's, it's like doing chores. Like, you know, nobody wants to talk about that. It's it's because,
2: yeah, it's because, you know, um, Nobody wants to really talk about that. Just like you said, I mean, look, DeSantis, like Michael said, uh, I'm sure he could have done something with that $12 million that he utilized to uh, fly uh, migrants. By the way, who has a right to be here? They, they, they came to the United, they came to the United States, and they applied under the right resources, and they came here. They're allowed to until they're. Until their dis- their court decision is 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 adjudicated, they're allowed to be here as 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 migrants, um, and then and then flew them from Texas to Massachusetts. You know, it just.
0: You know I, what, I, uh, <laughs> Elizabeth, you um, you you hit a point, and I have to say, we as an and Jeff, you hit, hit it too, but. Infrastructure is not sexy. And we don't have candidates or politicians willing to tell their base or the constituency that it's going to be rough. It's not going to be easy. I think, as a society, as American society, we are thinking we're used to instant gratification. When you watch a crime show at eight o'clock, you find out the murder took place at eight fifteen. It's solved at eight forty five, and then there you, you and you and then you go to sleep. <laughs> yep. But it, it can't be that way because if we continue ignoring these critical issues, infrastructure. Look at Mississippi. These yep. towns, particularly in black and brown communities, they can't drink water. They can't wash their clothes. They can't do anything. These are the things that need to be talked about to the local candidate, Biden, yes, I get it with the National Front and I'm glad that they passed an infrastructure bill. But look at it. You have elected officials who supported that because in their own state, they have poor infrastructure, but because they're Republicans and voted for the money to come into their state, they're either primaried, lost their job, or their life has been threatened because they asked, they advocated for federal funds to help build their road, their piping, and so forth. If we, if candidates, as well as elected officials, stop talking, you know, glorified, making it rosy, I, you're right, we, we, gotta, we gotta stop making it sexy. We have to deal with certain hard things, like this is gonna be rough for X amount of years before we see the fruit of our labor, of our sacrifices.
2: Oh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's part of that whole look, um, there's for me, there's this concern of we're not gonna be able to do hard things. You, doing hard things take practice. And if we get out of the practice of putting our heads together as citizens, as, as constituents, as, as uh, legislators, and doing hard things, then we're not going to be in a position 20 years down the road, 40 years down the road, where other nations are willing to do the hard things to really put in that time. Um and, and and America's always has always been known to put in the hard work. Even despite all of her issues and all of her they she has been known to put in this hard work. And we're at this point now where again, you know, and, and to be honest, I think when you look back at our history, we've been at these points where, you know, we, we we've been in these um, situations of where, you know, we're seized by all of the issues going on within, our, you know, you know, at home. We're seized with making, you know, the necessary steps. I'm hoping that this moment of seizure that we're in, you know, can, can pass sooner rather than later. And then we can get back to the business of, you know, you know being a you know, more perfect union, better citizens to each other, a better country, and doing the things that i know we're capable of doing because you know we we're not the, we're not the best for no you know we didn't get here by accident so
0: Uh, agreed we didn't get here by accident and it's a bitter pill to have to swallow and nobody likes to be inconvenienced and i get that myself included i hate when i'm on the road and there's construction when i'm on my way to work i'm like there is no need for this construction at this time (laughs) but i know that road needs to be repaired but i I just don't want it during my time and that's my time (laughs) (laughs) and, and, and that's the problem i i think you're you're right guys that i think as a society we are allowing the, we're allowing distractions and we have lost that sense of community and that's what we need to bring it back to um where we all could just like oh, it's just for a short time and i may not enjoy this fruits of this sacrifice now but maybe my children will. And you follow what i'm saying
2: oh yeah i definitely you know yeah, so. definitely trying to make sure that we do something so it's not it only takes care of us to, to a certain extent but it takes care of our kids and our kids kids
0: being fellow political junkies let me ask you for your personal perspectives on who do you think may win the various open election post especially the big prize of arizona governor also do you have any feelings on the overturning of roe versus wade the abortion issue
1: I do think um, overturning Roe may actually tip the scales in this election um, well, because I I posit, the prediction I will make is typically in midterm elections, you have a really low voter turnout. Um, it's appalling. It's atrocious. Um, our mothers and forebearers who fought and bled for the right for us all to vote um, are turning over in their grave when we don't show up and vote um, in every single election, even for the local dog catcher, but that's a different soapbox for a different day. But <laughs> I do think the unintended consequence of overturning Roe is it pissed off a heck of a lot of people who are going, and 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 the, again, the short-sightedness of the Republican candidates is they're leaning in on That decision, you know, you have the local folks here who, you know, local judges who have lifted a ban, uh, lifted an injunction on an 18, mid 1800s law
2: that basically
1: completely bans abortion in Arizona. And so literally in Arizona, the decision is keep these people in power and you're stuck in the mid 1800s. Or you bring these people into power and we bring in some sanity and some level headedness. And I I the the Republican candidates are leaning in. Oh, I'm pro-life. I'm, you know, this is absolutely not gonna happen. And yes, we should prosecute women who get abortions. Like literally, they've said that out loud in a political, and I'm just going, are you for real? I mean, we've never had people saying prosecute the woman. It's always been, oh, we'll prosecute the doctors, and you know, it's not the woman. Yeah, it's just, and I'm like, I don't think they understand that they basically are throwing gasoline on the fire for voter turnout. I hope I'm speaking prophetically in that sense. That (laughs) let this be the midterm election that completely defies the trends and the the norms of what we've had and let them overwhelmingly just vote out all of these really right-wing kids.
0: so we um, want we want an operation kansas to filter through yeah
2: exactly, yes. um, and, exactly. And kansas shocked everybody i know it shocked everybody in you know and, and that do what you do mike and you know in the in the uh you know who canvas who are part of the you know the electoral process and it's just like wow look at that <laughs> Even yeah. in some of the most even in some of the most um conservative uh, districts in Kansas, they you, you saw when you when they saw when they broke down the um the votes coming back, you're like, yeah, well, wow, okay,
0: <laughs> yeah All and I, you're, you're, I'm, I'm glad you raised that, Elizabeth. I didn't want to um I had it on my list to talk about the the Dobbs decision Dobbs. and how it has. Transformed a nation where we thought it was settled law, um, how they overturned it, and that you have a Supreme Court justice whose wife took part in the insurrection, and I may oh. say, um, not literally, you know. Stopping well, she attended.
2: Her. She attended <laughs> the. She, att- she attended the 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 speech portion of yes. uh, the soon to be right. former president, but actually didn't. But no, but. Here's what's even worse.
1: You have what four sitting Supreme Court justices who lied under oath <laughs> to Congress in their confirmation hearings and said "Roe is settled law. It is standing precedent." And then literally for some of them a month later, two months later, how how long after Amy Coet Barrett took office. Did two she more years, two, vote two against? More years. It, was two that was years. It years? Oh, yes. it felt like months. No, but like literally turned around and voted. Well, a year, it's a like, year. It was a year. It's like, are you for real? Are you? So it's, it's 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 appalling, and I'm, as a woman, I am furious, I am, appalled, I am, I'm fearful. For the young women of childbearing age that I know, who should something go wrong in their pregnancy in Arizona, where there is no exception for rape, incest, or the life of the mother, it no, is it's exactly life of the mother. Or- life of the mother. Is it life yeah. of the mother? Life but it's mother. still again, you have to prove it. And there's um, how many states where there aren't those exceptions? It's like for real, like for real. Like this, this is what you're left with. Um, so yeah, no, um, really mad, and I'm hoping. Uh, from from the temperature that I've raised, I've I've seen um, in in other women that I've spoken to on the issue, um, I'm praying um, that this causes that kind of voter turnout that that turns the tide. Um, we have the the Kansas effect. Um, <laughs> so I'm thinking I'm world. thinking
2: that um, unfortunately I'm thinking Carrie Lake may may just. Uh, she just may survive. And I say that because Carrie Lake was a was a media uh, was a media uh, persona out here for almost 30 years. She was a anchor woman for um, the Fox News, uh, not Fox News, but the Fox Channel um, out here for 27 years. Now She is extremely media savvy. She's comfortable. Um, even though she says things that are, um, that are, I wouldn't say incoherent, but don't make, they don't make sense. Sometimes it shows she's done, she's had a few missteps in terms of misunderstanding a bill, um, and certain legislative procedures. So you see a lot of, um, Inexperience there but in terms of her media presence she's polished unfortunately in our society we look at people's media presence and not what they actually know about legislating and we favor oh this person is just you know she just presents better you know from a media perspective and it's just like but she has no idea how to legislate
0: <laughs> yeah well, <laughs> you, well that's that's true celebrity and um i, I don't <laughs> I don't want to go into my uh, the state of Pennsylvania with a a Doctor Oz who does not live <laughs> in Pennsylvania. Exactly. But my be- e- to-
1: prudite, right?
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but, you, but you're you're right. People look at the facade and it's like, okay, he or she looks good, and therefore, yeah. um, they they should be voted in for office. I'm not saying the camera doesn't. Help, but nevertheless, when a person can't legislate or think for themselves, um, correct. And that's that's another thing. But that's Georgia for Herschel Walker. Well, Jeff and Elizabeth, thank you for taking the time, and it has been a delight and pleasure talking to you. And of course, we'll leave the door open to invite you back on another episode of Cuckoo for Politics, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Stay tuned for my closing comments. Cuckoo for Politics podcast is brought to you by Global Pulse Media, which has partnered with Hivecast FM, a firm that assembles a creative and professional team that takes podcasts such as Cuckoo for Politics to the next level. This team handles all audio and video editing services. So for a nominal fee, you will get a personal account manager that helps take the headache out of editing and just leave podcasters like myself focus on just creating good content for their audiences. So if you're a podcaster listening and need help editing, feel free to reach out to me. I can reach at cuckoo for politics at gmail.com. I could not have succeeded without this talented team at Hivecast FM. Before I close, let me first say thank you for listening and ask that you subscribe to this podcast, which can be listened on Apple Google, Spotify, Anchor, or whatever podcast platform you choose to listen to this episode. Once you subscribe, you'll be able to get the latest episodes that drops as well as some bonus features. Follow me on Facebook under cuckoo number four politics or Instagram cuckoo underscore number four underscore politics or my very own website, kukaforpolitics.com. Feel free to comment on either of those platforms as I welcome all feedback. Now, there is no denying that the race in Arizona will be close. Perhaps like all races throughout the country, we may not know the final outcome until well after Election Day. Side note, and this serves as a public service announcement, please... Do not forget to vote by mail. Preferably, if you're choosing that option, drop off your ballot at the nearest election drop box by November 8th. Or if you're going in person, please know where your voting precinct is and at times. It is paramount that you exercise your right to vote, as the threat to our democracy is real. Now, back to my commentary. The Republican slate in Arizona are election deniers, and if elected, could throw the country not only into a constitutional crisis, but spiral our democracy into peril. It sounds dark, but true. January 6th, the insurrection that took place on Capitol Hill was inspired by the former president. But the American institutions, like the people who are elected to the various secretary of states and governors that certified the people's votes, confirmed that Biden had won the 2020 election. They did not buy into the election lie that Trump continues to say in his warped and demented mind. But those same institutions are now being targeted and threatened by the election deniers Candidates whose main goal, in the case of Arizona, to subvert the will of the people if their desired Republican candidate does not win. Mark Fencham, the Republican candidate and member of the Oath Keepers, a right-wing group who participated in the insurrection, hopes to win the Secretary of State position, the office that's in charge of certifying the votes. Adrian Fontez, a Democrat and is the current Secretary of State in Arizona who's running for re-election, commented that candidates like Mark Fensham are a threat to our democracy. He actually paints a dire picture if candidates like Mark Fensham win. Let's say it's the year 2024, the next U.S. presidential election, and for argument's sake, it's a rematch between Biden and Trump. Ballots are counted, and Arizona voters, like in the 2020 election, overwhelmingly voted for Biden again. Now, if Mark Fentham, election denier, is the person in charge of certifying Arizona voters, without any evidence he chooses not to certify the votes for Biden, this scenario could possibly force Congress to decide the outcome of the race, according to the rules outlined in the Constitution. Not to mention, if the Republicans take over Congress, as political analysts predict based on historic trends, then in the words of Mr. Fontes, all of a sudden, we don't have a president elected by the people, we have an American president appointed by Congress. Thus, American democracy, insofar as free and fair elections, is over. To ignore the will of the people is simply put, un-American. There's a lot riding in this year's midterm elections, and the result is more than about the man who temporarily occupies the White House or which political party controls the levels of power in Congress. Issues discussed in this episode with my guests, inflation, student debt, civil rights, women's rights, immigration, infrastructure, or all important by far, but all can be resolved with a formidable sound action plan or policy. America's fundamentals of freedom and rights hangs in the balance. A stable government and political stability is what America needs, not chaos. Quite frankly, the world needs a stable America too, as we are regarded as the beacon of democracy. This is Michael, host of the political podcast, Cooking for Politics. Until the next episode, stay blessed.